What's up, Defenders? And happy Mother's Day weekend to all the mothers out there. Welcome to Defenders of the Bank. I am your host, the beast from the east, Christian Philly Philemon. And with me, as always, unfortunately still remotely, the mouth of the South Bay, J.R. Liebert, the... Garf! That's right. That's me, and we are so happy to be bringing episode 96 to you of Defenders of the Bank. Of course, the most LAFC podcast on Earth and Philly. 96, and we've got a great title for our episode. We went over this before we even sat down to record. And of course, that title is Practice. We're talking about practice. That's right. To quote Allen Iverson, but without the question marks at the end, we are very excited, Philly, to be talking about practice that we are that we are episode 96 our cortez kennedy episode and as we get higher in the episode numbers we start to run out of athletes that wore these numbers and the only two sports that we really have to fall back on are hockey and nfl players jerseys so yeah cortez kennedy for 96 97 and 98 are going to be interesting and of course the 99 you know where we're going to go with that but on today's episode we are going to give you the usual we're going to give you this day in LAFC history. We're going to bring you some news from the world of sports on an international level. Of course, since we are the most LAFC podcast out there, we are going to give you LAFC news and notes, and we're going to recap the charity match between Mark Anthony Kay and Lee Wynn. And during this episode, you'll of course hear the usual banter, stats with the scarf perhaps, maybe some rants with Philly. Usual things that you have grown to expect listening to now 96 episodes of Defenders of the Bank. And with that in mind, Scarf, let's kick it off with this day in LAFC history. That's right. This day in LAFC history. We are recording this the day before Mother's Day, Saturday, May 9th. And again, a very happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. So this day in LAFC history, beginning May 9th, May 9th, 2003. 15, one of the earliest dates in LAFC history on the calendar. LAFC hosting the first LAFC Supporters Town Hall, May 9th, 2015. That Supporters Town Hall would be the genesis for the 3252 several years later. So, May 9th, 2015, really the birth of the idea of what would come to be the 3252. Pretty cool that that was now. Five years ago today. Also on today's date, May 9th, 2018, Edward Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay scoring their first career goals in a 2 nothing win over Minnesota United. Five yellow cards for Minnesota in that game. And on May 9th, 2019, LAFC and WSS announcing a multi-year partnership focused on mutual alignment and active involvement in the LA community. WSS would go on to host player meet and greets. They're present at the tailgates. They host local community events with the street team and the academy, including, I believe, one of the first meet and greet events with Carlos Vela last year. May 10th, 2018, Shaft Brewer Jr. called into the U-20 U.S. men's national team for two friendlies against Honduras. Of course, Shaft at the time, a member of the Black and Gold. And on May 11th, 2019, LAFC defeating Columbus Crew on the road. More goals this time for Mark Anthony Kay, Adama Diamande, and in the 90th minute, the nail in the coffin supplied by the left foot of God that we glorify oh so much 
here as we talk about not just the <laughs> Cathedral of the Black and Gold, but the entire congregation, Carlos Vela, LAFC, defeating the Columbus Crew 3-0. And that is this day in LAFC history, Philly. You know, I got to be honest with you, episode 96, it's got me all kinds of nostalgic thinking about 1996. I was 13 oh years old at the time, Philly. A few things to remember looking back 24 years ago, both oh. Major League Soccer and the N64 came out in 1996. <laughs> how many hours playing GoldenEye, Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart? I mean, how many hours did you waste on N64, Philly? The game that occupied most of my time initially was the Star Wars game called Shadows of the Empire. Yes. That was an unbelievable game. And then, of course, GoldenEye was a game changer. I would hate to think of the uh, the countless minutes and hours, days, weeks, and months that I wasted on my life with that. <laughs> I mean, we got it to the point where we were just doing Golden Gun Dude, tournaments. The Golden Gun was the best thing of all time, absolutely. Yeah, such a fun game. 96, wow, I was 16, still living in Germany. A lot of crazy things in the world of sports in 96, Scarf. Absolutely. Philly, the Summer Olympics were held in the Dirty South, the ATL, Atlanta. DVDs yep. were launched in Japan for the very first time. And in theaters, Philly, my favorite, Independence Day, The Rock, and The Birdcage, all coming out in 1996. Of course, we elected Bill Clinton and his saxophone president. You can take saxophone however <laughs> you'd like. It's a family show. The top of the charts back then were littered with Mariah Carey, LL Cool J, <laughs> Tony Braxton, Tupac with Casey and JoJo, Brandy, cool. Whitney Houston, and even LaBouche and the Quad City DJs. But, Philly, I ask you why, <laughs> God, oh, why? Did the number one song have to be the Macarena by Los Del Rio? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's funny because last week we had the Max Arena. We tried to make him dance during the uh, the LAFC charity EMLS event again. Yeah, the Macarena, oh, man, is that. You're bringing back nightmares with that I one. I can never unsee Mark Rogandino and Max Bredos doing the Macarena together, providing their own music, by the way. That was fantastic. Thanks so much for that. Soundgarden, Metallica, Bush. And a flurry of Oasis songs were top of the rock charts, but it was One yeah. Headlight by Bob Dylan's son and super nice guy Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers at number one. Okay. Uh, yeah, Tupac's All song. Eyes on Me came out. Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. The Score by the Fugees. No oh, Doubt's Magic Kingdom. Oh, my first Kingdom. concert. Oh, your first concert was the Fugees? Oh, my God. Uh, dur during that album's tour, uh, I got a story to tell you about that, man. It was so cool. It was in Offenbach, Germany, just outside of Frankfurt. Obviously, they did all their songs, and quite a departure they had from their very first album where they had the Mona Lisa song. The score yep. was just a masterpiece, and I'll never forget for as long as I live. Lauren Hill goes into the beginning humming of uh, If I Ruled the World, and then all of a sudden, surprise guest Nas came out on stage. Oh, Nobody had any freaking clue. Awesome. And of course, awesome. me being the giddy kid from Queens, I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, it was the last real album from Nirvana, from the Muddy Banks of the Wish Good, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Yeah coming out as well. And Philly, the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, hosting the NFL draft that year. And of course, that saw your New York Jetropolitans take former USC great Keyshawn Johnson, number one overall. But Philly, with the last dance in full swing right now, and we're on episodes, what, seven and eight tomorrow on ESPN. Can't wait for the final four episodes of the last dance. I think I'm a little NBA nostalgic right now, Philly. We all know about the champions that year, the Chicago Bulls. Of course, that was their first of their second three-peat that they were working yeah. on. It was also the year they went 72-10. and 10. 
That was a crazy deal. And of course, Philly, they defeated one of the all-time great NBA jam teams of Sean Kemp and Gary Payton to win that title. But what I'm thinking about most, Philly, and especially with everything that happened this year, I'm thinking about the 1996 NBA draft. Let's consider that draft for just a second. An incredible draft it was. Two-time MVP Steve Nash, the all-time leading three-point shooter for now at least, Ray Allen. Four-time Defensive Player of the Year Ben Wallace, former Knicks great, and Defensive Player of the Year Marcus Camby. Five-time Laker champion Derek Fisher, New York high school hoop legend and another former Nick great, Stefan Marbury, Antoine Walker, Jermaine O'Neal, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, and your terrible first-round choice of Walter McCarty for the Knicks. But Philly, I ask you this. What if, Philly, what if, I ask you, what if the hometown team took the hometown kid number one overall instead of the great Allen Iverson? What if Kobe Bean Bryant was selected by the Philadelphia 76ers? He stayed at home in the Philadelphia instead of that fated trade of Vlade Divac <laughs> or Kobe Bean Bryant? What if Philly actually got to see Kobe play all of his home games. How would that have changed the sports landscape, Philly? Wow, that's you're putting me on the spot with that one. That's crazy. <laughs> Kobe as as a sixer. The Sixers were good. They made it to the NBA Finals with that number one pick they had. And it's interesting that we're calling this episode practice because, yes, AI was right. the number one pick. Dang, dude. I don't even know how the landscape would have changed. I could tell you your Los Angeles Lakers probably wouldn't have won any NBA titles. If the Sixers <laughs> yeah, Kobe. yeah, Derek Fisher's not winning those five titles that he won drafted that same year without one Kobe Bean Bryant. That's for sure. Can you just imagine, you know how ridiculous those Philly fans are. Do you imagine if they actually received Kobe Bryant into the fold the way that they do, how beloved he would have been in Philadelphia? The Rocky statue? Are you kidding me? There would be Kobe statues all over Philadelphia right now. How cool would that be? You know, Philly, let's get back to a bunch of LAFC stuff. I know that we're ready to uh, to talk the world's sport, the world's game, and, of course, the black and gold. Something we neglected to talk about real quick last episode that I want to make sure we mention at the top or wherever we are now in this episode is the launch of the Black and Gold Community Relief Fund. Of course, that being a partnership of LAFC and the LAFC Foundation. Of course, this fund allows LAFC to provide immediate relief and help to members of our community and the city of Los Angeles at large in light of these trying times we are in right now. Yet another way, Philly, that we see LAFC as a force for good in our community, the Black and Gold Community Relief Fund. Absolutely. And there's many ways to donate through through that. There was a virtual 5K run that happened earlier today that I was able to participate in. Simple donation. And then you just go out there and run and download your finisher certificate. Really, really cool. And just give you another reason and another bit of motivation to go out there and exercise. Of course, the charity that's going on with the EMLS games is contributing to, to some of that as well. No, it's really cool to see LAFC out there in the community. They had the blood drive at the bank last uh, just yesterday. LAFC continues to make its presence felt in the city of Los Angeles, which, of course, the team down the 110 seems to consistently neglect time after time again. Uh, LAFC is just, they're just on the forefront of so many things. I mean, they, they're doing things so well. They're taking this city by storm and in the greatest of ways you can possibly think of. And that's being community-oriented and helping out in every single way that they can. God bless LAFC. God bless the 3252. I love our club, Scarf. Dude, absolutely. Again, it's just, we're, we're so proud 
to be fans and members of this club the way that we are and the way that so many, in fact, dare I say, millions. And millions! Are fans of the black and gold, of course, the black and gold faithful, as we like to call them, who worship at the Cathedral of the Black and Gold Bank of California Stadium. Can't wait to get back to the Cathedral. May 9th, Philly, we are recording this May 9th. We right now are supposed to be taking over Earthquakes Stadium today to beat down the Smurfs. You heard that right, Philly. Earthquakes Stadium. The team, unfortunately, unable to find a new naming rights sponsor after Avaya's five-year deal expired at the end of last season. So they, of course, renamed the stadium Earthquakes Stadium for 2020. And Philly, I learned about an MLS trophy, an actual physical MLS trophy that I had never heard of before whilst I was researching San Jose for our now postponed and maybe canceled game against them. This trophy, Philly, is called, no joke, the Wooden Spoon. Now, Los Angeles is home of UCLA basketball, and no matter what Philly thinks about Bobby Knight and his Indiana who, who, <laughs> who, jers, who jers? zero doubt who the most successful coach and team combination in the history of NCAA hoops is John Wooden and the UCLA Bruins. So successful, in fact, they named the Wooden Award in his honor, given to the nation's best collegiate men's and women's basketball players. This year, of course, that went to Obi Toppin of Dayton and Sabrina Ionescu of Oregon. However, as I came to find out, Philly, the Wooden Award in college basketball is vastly different than the Wooden Spoon <laughs> In Major League Soccer. In Major League Soccer, the last place team in the overall standings is generally considered the wooden spoon champion. However, unlike other leagues and divisions, especially in soccer, as I came to find out, the wooden spoon award in most of those other leagues, Philly, is not a physical trophy. However, this is Major League Soccer, and we do things right. There is a physical trophy for the award before the start of the 2016 MLS season. The Independent Supporters Council, of which the 3252 is a large part of, decided to create an actual official trophy for the lowest place team in the league, and thank God they did, as a complement to the Supporters Shield, which of course the ISC also manages. The trophy is passed to the quote-unquote winning team at the annual ISC conference, of which we know that our 3252 members were a part of. And the holders of that spoon must possess the spoon for the entire following season. At the end of the year, every group awarded the wooden spoon are allowed to do what they will with the trophy. The inaugural season, Philly, of 2015, Chicago Fire FC was the winner. And this is, this is kind of hard for me to read this last part because I actually knew this person and he's a really nice guy. But the Chicago Fire FC, they were the winning wooden spoon winners and their supporters group had the responsibility of creating that first spoon. The award was christened the Andrew Houtman Memorial Wooden Spoon by Chicago Fire as a dig against their team owner, who, again, I, I know, and he's a really nice guy. I feel really bad. He owned the team from 2007 to 2019. But I love this. Beginning with 2017, Philly, after the Columbus crew won the award, they renamed it the Anthony Precourt Memorial Wooden Spoon Award. <laughs> and he is just about as loved as... Of course, the midcourts here at Dodger Stadium. And of course, he was trying to move the franchise to Austin. The, how this all got brought up, Philly, is the winning team in 2018 is the most timed winning spoon, wooden spoon award winner 
in Major League Soccer history, the San Jose Earthquakes. They have currently won the most wooden spoons overall, 1997, 2000, 2008, and two years ago, 2018. Now, Chicago Fire are the only team to win it back-to-back in 2015 and 16 and actually get that trophy for two full years. But, of course, San Jose, the all-time record holder with four, and FC Cincinnati winning it last year in 2019. Philly, we're supposed to be in San Jose right now, and we maybe could have seen a picture of the Wooden Spoon Trophy. It would have been fantastic because last year when we went over to Avaya Stadium, as it was called, there was a pillage in Smurf Village. <laughs> Stephen Betashore happened to score a goal. One of the more iconic photos that we've ever seen was by him standing in front of the supporters with his hands up. That was one of the best attended away games that I think most people have ever seen in this league. It was absolutely fantastic. I know there's plenty of people that posted it on social media over the course of the past couple of days. Everybody's stating that this could have been their first away game. They're still looking forward to going to going to San Jose. That game didn't happen. And nothing's really happening in San Jose right now either, Scarf, because a couple of MLS teams have taken to the practice pitch, and we're going to chat about that in a little while. But San Jose's not even practicing. A lot of craziness happening up there in the Smurf Village capital. You are absolutely right. One of the greatest photos, in my opinion, that Imad has ever taken as well is that of Stephen Betashore looking up at the thousands of LAFC supporters at Avaya Stadium last year holding up the scarf. What a great photo there by Imad, one of our official team photographers there. But you're absolutely right, Philly. Great segue, a smooth segue, as we always do here on Defenders of the Bank. Workouts began Thursday, May 7th, and LAFC, just one of eight teams who had opened practice by that Thursday. Other MLS teams had started the day before that Wednesday. 16 players taking part on Thursday, including Philly. This is exciting. The now apparently fit Bradley Wright Phillips out on the pitch for the first time, albeit one of just four players allowed on the pitch at any given time in their quadrant. Stay in your lane. Another handful, including Carlos Vela, took part on Friday. So that's why we named this episode Practice. We're talking about practice. Philly practice was suspended eight weeks ago. And while it technically resumed last week, just four players allowed at any given time and none allowed to even share equipment yet. I think Bob Bradley summed it up best when he said it's a start but that's still a long way from the game, he said. Philly, how excited are you that we're finally able to talk about something other than whatever these guys are doing over Zoom or Twitch or anything else right now? No, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I referred to it last week as a pump fake, but it was a well-received pump fake. Some of the photos that were released from that first session, I got to say, I love the photo of Tristan Blackman smiling. His face says it all, and it's completely indicative of how we all feel. Just happy to see something going on. Happy to have some form of normality going on. Happy to see those boys over in Cal State LA doing their thing. And yeah, seeing Bradley Wright Phillips out there, he mentioned uh, on an episode with with Max uh, on YouTube earlier uh, the previous week that he was physically ready to go, and we talked about how this would be one of the bonuses of being within this quarantine. So seeing him out there was pretty good. The pictures that we had a Pablo, Rossi, Atuesta, Palacios, El Manir, Harvey, K. I mean, it's awesome. You said it. 16 of our boys took the practice pitch. 
And as much of a, as I was referring to it as a pump fake on last week's episode, really, really happy to say, really, really happy to see rather. We don't know if we're going to have a season again. That's why I refer to it as a pump fake, but an interesting report that we uh, read on Angels on Parade, shout out Alicia Rodriguez, MLS could potentially bring all these clubs down to Mouse House country in Orlando, Florida to resume the season. Orlando was one possibility. Kansas City and Dallas have also been mentioned as potential spots to bring all these teams together this regular season. But that leaves so many question marks in play. Clearly, they're not going to allow the players' families there. How long are they going to be allowed to go there? Yes, there are multiple practice fields all throughout any of these three cities. But what's going to happen? How are they going to do it? How's the day-to-day going to be? There's just so many questions, but... Something is better than nothing, in my opinion, and the reality of us all getting back in the Bank of California Stadium is looking slimmer and slimmer each and every passing day. So as excited as we are to see some form of Major League Soccer going on, we're probably not going to be able to see it in the bank. There's talks about maybe like 5,000 people getting into the stadium and then spread out throughout the Bank California Stadium. I, I heard that as a possibility. I don't know how that would work, and it would probably infuriate a lot of people, and it still wouldn't make up for the, uh, the loss of 22,000 screaming fans. But again, something is better than nothing. So those pictures, they were pleasant. But we don't know if we're going to have a season yet, Scarf. Yeah, Philly, you're absolutely right. In fact, I think you channeled your inner Mohammed El Munir with that last little bit there. Mohammed El Munir saying it's still not the same, but at least step by step we can get there. This is better than nothing for us. And I just love the quote, by the way, from Mark Anthony Kay. It's a good feeling to be able to get on a field that's nice, that's not turf, and you don't have to worry about dogs leaving their messes everywhere, said Mark Anthony Kay. Of course, he's been training through USC during this time. He said it was nice to have a clean, safe space to practice. Just being around the guys is an amazing feeling. That team aura, again, feels really good. Of course, Philly, you're absolutely right. How do you pick the 5,000 or the the 3,000 or the 3,252 people, whatever it is they decide to try and fill the bank with? How How do you decide who gets to be there and who doesn't? And how safe is it even for those people to be there? Look, If there's anything that we know about our black and gold faithful, it's that we love to congregate in large groups and be very loud and be very close to each other. I don't know how that's going to work for 2020 or for this season of Major League Soccer. We've talked about that kind of ad nauseum, but unfortunately, Philly, I just don't think that that is going to be an option for us. And I I know neither do you and neither do many people in the 2020 season. It would be interesting I feel like Disneyland and the the Epcot Center complex, everything down there in Orlando, is certainly getting a lot of publicity in terms of where they might have moved the NFL if they were going to play, or the NBA if they were going to play, or and now Major League Soccer. It'll be interesting. I, I don't know how all that is going to work. Um, you know, looking down the line for us, unfortunately, the bummer is next weekend. Of course, would have been our home match against Carson, and, and that would have been an incredible experience. NYCFC coming to the bank on the 24th, Houston coming to the bank on May 30th. Obviously, none of those things are going to happen. And again, we really have no idea what the schedule is going to be. I think we can just throw out the schedule that was made prior to this season. And I think what we might see is maybe the Players Association and the owners kind of agreeing to a completely modified, different schedule, maybe one that that involves less travel, maybe one that doesn't involve any travel at all. And and maybe they're playing games, you know, 
like you said, on multiple fields at that wide world of sports complex or whatever it is they're calling it there in Orlando. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I don't know that we'll have that much to celebrate in May. We'll see what happens at training or, or whatever it is that we're calling these four-man, four-quadrant kind of practices that they're doing right now. But but we'll see. Look, I know you're a glass half full guy. I'm a I'm whatever side the glass is on. I'll, I'll be you know different sides for different days. But I just I'm looking forward to starting to see more pictures of our athletes in training again. And that's what we got to see. We also got to see pictures of Bradley Wright Phillips and Diego Rossi getting their temperatures taken and using hand sanitizer and, and all kinds of things like that. So it's going to be a very different reality once we do come back. But man, am I just happy to see our boys in those gray practice kits right now. No, absolutely. And what's going to happen next week is going to be interesting because the whole world is going to have eyes on it. And we're all going to get an idea as to how one of the biggest leagues in the world is going to run things in this crazy COVID chaos world that we're living in. And what I mean by that is the Bundesliga, the German professional leagues, the first Bundesliga and the Bundesliga are set to kick off on Saturday, May the 16th. And I, for one, can't freaking wait. It should be a fun race to the finish. It's really only between a handful of teams. You got Bayern in first place. Right behind them, Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and Bayer Leverkusen. And the games to watch out for over the weekend, we should be able to get them on regular TV on Fox because that's who the Bundesliga had a, a deal with. Dortmund is playing their hated, hated rivals. It's Schalke, 6.30 Saturday morning. Leipzig is playing Freiburg. Of course, a lot of the teams I'm going to mention are with those top five teams. The game I'm really interested in is at 9.30 is going to feature Eintracht Frankfurt, a club that I support and in a city I lived in for four years, is going to take on Borussia Mönchengladbach. On Sunday, Scarf, your newly adopted team. Union Berlin is set to face against Bayern Munich at 9 o'clock, and I wouldn't be too hopeful to see a victory coming out of Union. And then on Monday, if you're not working and you're at home at 11.30, Werder Bremen, Werder Bremen featuring U.S. Men's International, Josh Sargent is going to take on Bayer Leverkusen at 11.30. So excited about this. And, of course, everybody's going to have eyes on this league. I'm sure plenty of people are asking, well, Why are they concluding the season? Really, it's for continuity purposes and mainly for financial reasons. I was reading that if this season didn't play out, there's a possibility that 18 out of the 36 clubs between the Bundesliga and the Zweite Bundesliga would face severe financial difficulties. In fact, there was a fund created by some of the biggest clubs in Germany to help pay the way to keep some of these other teams that were underfunded afloat. But the thing that scares me the most, Scarf, As I was doing research for today's podcast, there was breaking news. A club, Dynamo Dresden, they put their entire squad, it was announced earlier today, they put their entire squad on a 14-day quarantine after two players tested positive for asymptomatic symptoms of coronavirus. They put the whole team on lockdown. That's crazy. And of course, we're going to see what the heck is going to happen when all these other clubs face off. They're going to play in empty stadiums. It's going to be weird seeing uh, the Signal Iduna Park with no fans. It's going to be weird not seeing a yellow wall. It's going to be weird not seeing fans in Frankfurt. It's going to be interesting seeing cardboard cutouts uh, at (laughs) Borussia Mönchengladbach. But, yeah, I can't believe they put an entire team under a quarantine. And the scary thing is a lot of these players had no clue. 
Another sport I want to transition to really quickly, UFC, because it's going on right as you and I are talking about. Jacare Sosa was set to fight Uriah Hall today uh, at UFC, and this was a fight I was particularly interested. Not only because Jacare's a hell of a fighter, but during my MMA days, Uriah Hall came out of where I trained out of, Team Tiger Shulman's. In fact, my sensei signed up Uriah Hall when Uriah Hall was just a child. This guy... There's no doubt that these UFC fighters are some of the best-conditioned athletes in the world. But Jacare, along with two of his cornermen, catch the coronavirus. No symptoms. Positive. The days are up, leading up to that. They, didn't, they tested negative. It's scary. Here's a guy getting ready to go into the octagon. There was a whole team getting ready to, to start a season. People with no symptoms all of a sudden testing positive. I mean... As far as I'm concerned, man, we might all have this stupid freaking virus at this point. I've been exercising every freaking day since April, and I haven't felt better in ages. I mean, I switched from shoeies to running shoes, and it seems to have helped me psychologically. But if a guy like Jacques Array, if a guy, if a team like Dinamo Dresden are coming down with the coronavirus, you know, it, it's it's scary. And hearing these bits of news is very disheartening, not just for sports viewership, but 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 in general. Highly conditioned athletes not feeling anything, all of a sudden getting tested for this stuff. Scar, for all I know, you and I have it. It's crazy. You know, the crazy thing is he did, Jacare did tell Dana White and the people at UFC that he, one of his family members had it. So, you know, just FYI, hey, one of my family members had it. And all of a sudden they went into like crazy lockdown mode, tested him and the rest of everybody else. And like you mentioned, three of them came down with it. Philly, I don't mean to, to sour your glass any more than it already is, but the team that you grew up rooting for, your your Bundesliga team, if you had to pick one, I just want to be clear, it is still Eintracht Frankfurt, yes? Yeah, I'm really okay, curious so as to why you're asking The reason me. why I bring that up, because you kind of disparaged my, my newly found love for FC Union Berlin there for a second. Sitting at 11... No, I didn't. I just said, realistically, they're not going to beat Bayern. That's a fair well, statement. Then you know what? Maybe when they play Eintracht Frankfurt, they will. Sitting in the standings, Philly... 11th in the standings <laughs> oh. is Union Berlin at 30 points. 12th in the standings, two points behind them, would be your Eintracht Frankfurt squad there. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with your boys at Eintracht Frankfurt. They're yeah. only six points away from relegation. They, I don't think they're going to get relegated because they're probably far enough away. Philly, how many games are in the season for the Bundesliga? Is it 32? Does everybody play each other? Excuse me, 36? Does everybody play each other twice? You know? play, yeah, everybody plays each other twice. There's only nine matches left to go in the season. So oh. it's it's going to be close. But yes, fine. Your team might be on top of mind for the time being. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, none of our teams are really contending for anything other than coming back to Bundesliga 1 next season. None of us are going to Europe. Perhaps none of us get relegated. It's really between the top five clubs that I mentioned earlier on. And it's yeah. going to be fun to see some form of football. I am going to be so excited. I'll be like 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 a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons. I will have my alarm set for 6.15. I'm going to toss on my Bundesliga kits, and I'm going to sit there with my cup of coffee, followed maybe by an Irish coffee three hours into the day, and I'm going to be watching Bundesliga football. Super cool. But, hey, Scarf, you yeah. and I are both big baseball fans. The yes. Korean Baseball League started. Yes. It was really cool seeing the home opener there. Did you get a chance to pick a club yet? Tyler Saladino, Dan Straley, these former Major League Baseball also-rans are superstars in the KBO now. It's been a lot of fun to watch and learn a lot about the KBO. There's some more bat flips than we're used to, a little bit more celebrating than we are used to. 
I don't think I have a team just yet, Philly, but I'm starting to get to know some of these players out there that aren't quite from America, and it's been fun to watch. Each team only allowed three foreign players on it, so it's really interesting to see how they use them. And I believe the one name that I did recognize more than almost any other from the Korean contingents, Byung-ho Park, I believe, is back playing for the KBO. He was in Minnesota for a while and actually did relatively well for the Minnesota Twins for a little bit. But it's been a lot of fun just watching baseball. It's kind of been fun watching Carl Ravitch and uh, Eduardo Perez talk about these teams and and really not know anything. They've brought on all kinds of great people. One of the players' wives also works for ESPN, so they brought her on and they were talking to her about what it's been like with the transition and everything else. But, you know, one of the things that we did hear from these players, and and you kind of allude to it in how you're talking about uh, the the football team and Jacare Souza, is that a lot of these players are still playing in fear a little bit there. It's interesting to watch the umpires with masks and gloves on, the the base coaches with masks on, the cheerleaders that they have there in the stands are cheerleading with masks on. That makes me think of something out of like Fallout, these like post-apocalyptic video games that we see all the time. We've got cheerleaders cheering with masks on. But yes, absolutely, Philly. I am definitely watching KBO baseball. I really wish the games did not start at, what is it, 11.30 p.m., 2.30 Eastern, I mean... That's if we're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it's starting at like, you know, these games are ending at like 3 in the morning here, so at least the games do move pretty quickly. It's not Major League Baseball, but it is certainly fun to watch. Absolutely. The K-League has also started. That's the Football League in Korea, and I know everybody that's a black and gold faithful is going to root for Gwangju FC. Do you want to know why you should root for Gwangju FC? Because former LAFC player in our inaugural season, Marco Urania, graces that roster. So we have more of a reason to follow the K-Leagues and to follow Marco and what remains to be the rest of his career. So go Gwangju FC. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Right now, what each squad is allowed, something like five foreign players. It might be three plus. There's something called three plus one plus one. So it's kind of an interesting way that they go about it, but um, it's it's really cool to to see these leagues kind of starting up. Of course, we're all watching them and seeing how they do, and it's been fun to watch the journey of Marco Ureña. I thought everybody thought, really, that he was going to just go back home and retire after playing for a few more seasons, but he chose to keep going, which is awesome. So pretty cool that we get to see Marco Ureña keep his career going with Guangzhou. One more bit of news before we get into the charity challenge today. There was a fun little read on MLS, the app, or the MLS website. uh, And it featured a set of videos. And it had players such as Carlos Vale and Joseph Martinez. And basically they were videos asking these respective players who they would choose as their five players to have for five-a-side teams in practice. Vela's choices were rather interesting. Vela chose Claudio Bravo. Fabregas, Thierry Henry, Antoine Griezmann, and Dennis Burkamp. Of course, all players that he has seen, whether it was his time at Arsenal, whether his time at Real Sociedad, pretty cool to see. And, of course, he named himself the captain of the club. But the (laughs) one interesting thing that I saw was Jonathan Dos Santos named his five, and he incorporated his good friend Carlos Vela, but his good friend Carlos Vela didn't incorporate him. I thought that was kind of funny. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of 
MLS news. But Scarf, let's get into the reason why we're here today, and that's to talk about LAFC Gaming's new feature on the sticks. Yeah, on the sticks with LAFC Gaming. And again, a shout out to our buddy Alex Sale and everybody out there who makes the LAFC Gaming community run. It was supposed to be a friendly between Lee Wynn and Mark Anthony Kay, but it started out, Philly, nothing. But it started out, Philly, anything but friendly. Unbelievable the beatdown that Lee Wynn would go putting on Mark Anthony Kay in the beginning. But this one, it was an interesting three-match format. It was Max Bredos and Kaylin Kyle, who is one of Inter-Miami's broadcaster partners there, calling it for LAFC and Inter-Miami FC on Twitch. And it was supposed to be a three-match, best-of-three aggregate series. The first match was the Canadian national team versus the U.S. men's national team. Now, Mark Anthony Kay, I believe he's capped, what, 14 times or so for the Canadian men's national team. Lee Wynn capping nine times for the U.S. men's national team. Neither player, though, included in their own side. Now, that's not surprising for Lee Wynn. It's been a little while since he's made a cap with the U.S. men's national team. But Philly, Mark Anthony Kay has been a regular starter and big-time role player on that team for the Canadians, Canadian men's national team, along, of course, with Alfonso Davies, who the world is getting to see in the Bundesliga. You mentioned him before. But the people at FIFA 20, I now have a second biggest gripe with the people at FIFA 20. Of course, we know the first one, Philly, no Bank of California Stadium in FIFA 20. How could the FIFA 20 programmers not put Mark Anthony K on the Canadian men's national team? Just terrible. And Philly, I thought you were going to be pretty excited there in the second match. It was supposed to be Mark Anthony K picking Manchester United, uh-huh. taking on Lee Wynn's Barcelona side, of course, with Lionel Messi. We'll talk about how that changed in a little bit. And it was supposed to be, again, Mark Anthony K sticking with Canada for some reason against France for Lee Wynn and what the teams that you think would best represent the World Cup final. Philly, we saw a bunch of those things change over the course of the tournament. And the first game, Philly, a beatdown by Lee Wynn on Mark Anthony K. Is there really any surprise there? I mean, we keep in close contact with the club and the club is very good at advertising what each of the players are like and we've always known that people such as Dio, people such as Wynn were big gamers in these list of gamers that we've always known about we never really heard much about Mark Anthony K so going into this contest this charitable challenge contest you know you have to say that the the tide probably favored Lee Wynn in fact Max Bredos earlier on in the uh, in the broadcast mentioned that he was leaning towards Lee because Lee is a gamer. And here's an interesting thing. Kaylin Kyle, I did a little bit of research on her because you got to know who the freaking voice for Inner Miami is. She was a baller, Scarf. She had 101 caps with Canada. She played professionally for a number of years, most recently with the Orlando Pride. Prior to that, the Portland Thorns, a club that you and I had the privilege of seeing the day after that infamous away game in Portland last season. And she's married to a professional football player, Harrison Heath, who plays in the USL for Miami FC. So it was pretty cool getting to learn a bit about her. And she's going to be a very pleasant person to to have to watch on Inter-Miami. But before the game even started, Kay was already talking a whole bunch of smack. And... The idea of the U.S. 
playing Canada, yeah, there's going to be a rivalry there going forward because the competition levels are starting to get even. Alfonso Davies, without a doubt, and correct me if I'm wrong, the only other person that might be able to rival Alfonso Davies in terms of talent uh, between both Canada and the U.S. would have to be Christian Pulisic. Other than that, I, I would say I would take Alfonso Davies over anybody else on the U.S. men's national team, and I'm pretty sure you're with me in that regard. Yeah, unless it's, uh, of course, you know, Sebastian. I can't even make the joke. I was going to try to make a joke to find some way to make a Sebastian Legette joke about being on the U.S. men's national team. Oh, I can't that's even because do that. you love the boy. I, oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, it's nice, though, that his teammate, uh, Servando Carrasco and Kalen Kyle, both have something in common, both married to professional soccer players. That's incredible. That's really nice. <laughs> of course, congratulations to Alex Morgan on having her first child. So we did want to mention that here. Uh, again. The beatdown that we saw from Lee Wynn started very, very early in the fourth minute. U.S. men's national team, Josie Altador scoring 1-0. And in the 14th minute, Philly, our first bit of controversy in the entire three-game series. How was that a red card on Team Canada's Jonathan David? So Mark Anthony Kay, who's already not really a gamer, we, we love him so much, but he admitted several times on the telecast there that he's not really a gamer and he kept asking dude how often have you played this game how much do you play this game to lee win so you know he was in a little bit of trouble he even said on there that he's only got the game two days ago so he could prep for it clearly lee win has prepped for it a little better but mark anthony k going down to 10 men 14 <laughs> minutes in and the route was on 23rd minute after i mean philly Eight touches, eight different passes inside the box. Cheeky. Very oh my cheeky. goodness. Jordan Morris puts one away. 31st minute. The guy who I was just making fun of, Sebastian Legette, puts one away. And the first real chance for Mark Anthony K coming in the 44th minute. Nothing happens, but he forces a turnover. Lee Wynn said, oops, I didn't mean to do that. And all of a sudden, the ball falls at Cavallini's feet. Yep. And Mark Anthony K is on the board. 3-1 at the half. Oh, wait, no. They gave him four minutes of stoppage time, Philly. How do you give four minutes of stoppage time for no reason whatsoever and then give the ball to Christian Pulisic right before halftime? 4-1 U.S. men's national team. He would go on, Philly, to be nice and only score two more in the second half. And if you're going by aggregate and you lose the first game 6-1, Enjoy the rest of your tournament. It's all for fun at that point. And I love Lee Wynn's tip, Philly, to Mark Anthony Kay at the end of the game. The Kalen Kyle asked Lee Wynn, do you have any tips for Mark Anthony Kay moving forward after the first loss 6-1? He said, yeah. He needs to keep, well, no, he said he needs to keep 11 men on the field. I thought that was, a, <laughs> that was a pretty good tip. Pretty good tip. Thanks, Lee. But yeah, Philly, the second game... I was excited. We were going to get to see your Manchester United take on Barcelona, but again, talked out by the Canadian tuxedo-wearing Kalen Kyle of using Manchester United talk into Liverpool, and we saw a little bit better of a result, huh, Philly? I, I'm blown away that we've referred to the Canadian tuxedo here for the third time in our podcast. For those of you who don't know or haven't listened to those episodes, the Canadian tuxedo is denim on denim, just leaving it there. And I will say, the next time I do see Kay, I'm going to have to bust his chops a little bit because it is blasphemous for a Manchester United supporter to all of a sudden lose faith in his club and go 
over to Anfield. I can't believe he chose Liverpool. Sure, he dug himself into a massive, massive hole. But there's plenty of other clubs that he could have chosen instead of Liverpool. He could have picked Real Madrid. He could have picked Juventus. He could have picked Bayern Munich. Hell, he could have picked the French national team. Anybody (laughs) but Liverpool. Come on, Kay. Blasphemy. And, you know, after watching the the, the butt-whooping that he took... Picking a club as strong as Liverpool would only help to, uh, to, to patch any of the holes that Kay had in his game. But it wasn't any winning effort nonetheless. And you know what? Because he picked Liverpool, I love you, Kay, but I'm glad you kind of lost because you're a United supporter. I'm a United supporter. You should never, never walk alone again. Yeah, but Philly, I think the soccer gods got him too there in the 12th minute Mo Salah absolutely making Barcelona look terrible, takes the shot and rings it right off the woodwork. So the soccer gods getting upset with him as well for his allegiances. And just a few minutes later in the 23rd, good friend of Carlos Vela, Antoine Griezmann for Barcelona, going up 1-0 for Lee Wynn. And, you know, I love Lee Wynn's uh, statement after he scored in the 28th minute with Messi. He said, you know, dude, I just, if it's Messi, I just close my eyes and hit the shoot button, man. He'll do the rest of the work. Lionel Messi <laughs> making it 2 nothing for Lee Wynn. Messi with Messi. Yeah, right? Lee Wynn scoring 2 nothing. He's up at the half. Lee missing a PK, though, in the 58th minute. He tried to so. go upper 90, but couldn't make it happen. One of my least favorite players in all of the world, Luis Suarez, scoring for Lee Wynn, 3 nothing. But we had a little bit of a comeback, Philly. Firmino and Mo Salah both putting it in the back of the net to make it 3-2, Mark Anthony K. And that includes a red for Gerard Piquet. So now both teams have gone down a man in their games, except this one came in the 82nd for Lee Wynn. It came in the 14th minute for Mark Anthony K. So unfortunately, not enough time to pile it on. And the game ends 3-2, another victory for Lee Wynn. And after two games on aggregate Philly, 9-3, is there any possible combination that we could come up with that could lead Mark Anthony Kay out of the darkness of a six-goal aggregate deficit? Is there any combination that you could think of, Philly, for the third game that might be able to help? It was a crazy combination earlier. I really get the feeling that when Lee missed that penalty kick, he was giving Mark Anthony Kay a false sense of confidence. I really got the impression that he wanted to make things a bit more competitive. To win your first match 6-1 to one, and then to go forward and just absolutely decimate him again, what, what, what's the point? You want to make things interesting and I'm sure he did it just to, uh, just to maintain some type of competitive match the third time around. And that was proven absolutely correct because we had we had Belgium a top four team in the world featuring the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Aiden Hazard just to name a couple of people you know Thibaut Courtois I mean the list goes on and on Belgium is just a stacked stacked club but they faced China China a team that hasn't qualified for the World Cup since, what, 2002. So at that point, I really got the feeling that Lee was really trying to give Kay a false sense of confidence and to try to make it competitive so he could act in the appropriate way. And K 
Kay used that to his benefit because as that game started, it only took 10 minutes of game time, which in real world time is, I don't know, 27 seconds for Aiden Hazard to score the first goal. That's how it opened up. Kay takes the lead for the first time ever. Yeah, when looking at the rosters, you kind of got the feeling like, all right, Lee Wynn wasn't so much trying to let Mark Anthony Kay get back in this as he was trying to test like, all right, how much better am I really than Mark Anthony Kay? Can I hold off a 6 nothing loss by using China against Belgium? And, you know, after the first half, Philly, Mark Anthony Kay made it look really interesting. Aiden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, you mentioned them in the lead-up. They both scored within the first 26 minutes. Hazard scoring again to make it 3 nothing at half. And all of a sudden, the aggregate cut from 9-3 to 9-6. Six to three, the goals that are needed. And if Mark Anthony K can just come up with a carbon copy of the first half, all of a sudden we would be tied on aggregate at nine. And then Merten scores to make it four nothing. And you're thinking, 51 minutes in, Mark Anthony K just needs two more goals. And then Wu Ji strikes for China. And we know when Wu Ji strikes for China, that usually signals the end for whoever they're playing. And unfortunately <laughs> for Mark Anthony K, that spelled the end losing, or excuse me, winning 4-1, but losing on aggregate 10-7 to Lee win. The charity, of course, being helped, the LAFC Foundation. The other charity being helped in that third game is Mark Anthony K. Lee win, giving him a lot of charity by picking the Chinese national team. So he goes down. 10-7 on aggregate to Lee win. Philly, we're not used to watching many losses on Twitch using LAFC or LAFC players. This one, a little unfamiliar with us, but even Remy Martin chimed in. He was giving some love to Mark Anthony K and Lee win there in the chat on Twitch. It was nice to see Remy pop in there. He's probably getting ready in two weekends, of course. He's got the semifinals and hopefully the finals of that Fox Sports FIFA 20 tournament that's going on. So that should be a lot of fun. But it was a fun day, Philly. We got to see a little bit of Lee Wynn and Mark Anthony K on the sticks, as they call it, playing on Twitch. And, of course, all for a good cause, the LAFC Foundation and the Black and Gold Community Fund. So all in all, a good weekend, Philly. And all in all, another great reason to podcast. Yeah, always a good reason to podcast. It was so much fun seeing Lee Wynn on there. He was definitely a beloved part of the black and gold community. A player that, had it not been for the expansion draft, would have probably still been on our roster. And one thing that we didn't mention was the bet that they made prior to the match's beginning. So because Kay lost, he's going to have to go run around with Lee Wynn's jersey. But Kay said something really funny. He goes, yeah, you know what? I'll take that bet because we're all... We're all in the lockdown right now. So not a lot of people are seeing me having to wear a jersey. So, you know, a win, <laughs> a win's a win. But, you know, look thanks to, uh, to both of the players. Uh, they were talking about how Lee was just such a awesome part of the locker room and part of that group dynamic. He was easygoing, and he always put a smile on people's faces. And when asked about Kay... Uh, Wynn said a lot of nice things about Kay in the sense that, you know, he always came up to him and Benny asking them questions, wanting to improve. And he made that comment that, you know, you're going to want to see that from the younger players and that he was going to be a, a, a person to be reckoned with. So that was pretty cool. And then, you know, it's sad to say bye to Lee, but, you know, I was thinking about him and the experiences he's had as a footballer. And I don't know, this might be a trivia question down the day, uh, down the road, but 
it's pretty interesting that Lee's going to get the experience to play for two clubs in their inaugural seasons. LAFC, obviously, he came in a little later in that opening season, but he was still part of our inaugural year. And, of course, he's now with Inter-Miami for their inaugural year, which is going to be rather tainted because of this COVID crisis that we're currently running through. But how many players can legitimately get to say that they were part of two expansion clubs his first seasons? Really interesting stuff. How about Walker Zimmerman? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I didn't say that he was the only one. I said there aren't going to be that many. No, for uh, sure. It just got me thinking about other players, especially from LAFC. And, you know, it's incredible to think, like, yeah, Walker Zimmerman got to do that. Also, he you know, scored the inaugural goal in that club's history, too, which is, you know, that's that's something he'll never forget. And he's going to be part of the history and the lore for Nashville for many, many years to come. And, of course, Philly, we couldn't have a better coach to navigate us through our maiden voyages in, as Bob Bradley, of course, all of the inaugural teams that he's been a part of, my goodness, it was Chicago Fire and Chivas. I mean, the guy knows almost nothing but inaugural teams here in Major League Soccer. And, you know, it does, you mentioned Lee Wynn and, and the career that he's had. I mean, the guy started with PSV Eindhoven in 2006 after one year. Philly, remind our, our listeners again, where did Lee Wynn play college soccer at by chance? A small little institution in Bloomington, Indiana, called Indiana University, home of the who, who, Hoosiers. I don't care if you get sick of hearing me say it. I'm (laughs) proud of where I went to college. And I'll say it a hundred freaking times. I don't care. (laughs) I got to give you a hard time about it each time, though. So, yeah, he he got to play in the Danish Superliga. He got to play in the Vietnamese Super League. And, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun watching Lee Wynn's career. You know, really interesting. He was acquired at one point by the Vancouver Whitecaps, but he was waived and then selected by the Revolution. That's how he began his incredible career with the Revolution. I mean, Lee Wynn, one of very few players in Major League Soccer history, and it's important to know this. This is an incredible accomplishment. Lee Wynn, one of very few players in Major League Soccer history with 50 goals and 50 assists in his career. 54 goals, 58 assists, and the guy... Just an all-time great MLS midfielder. Absolutely love the guy. Finished third in the MVP voting in 2014. The guy is as good as it gets. We do miss him. We also miss all of our listeners out there. We miss the tailgates. We miss Christmas Tree Lane. We miss screaming our heads off at (sighs) Bank of California Stadium, the Cathedral of the Black and Gold. We are still happy to be able to do this for you and be able to bring you another episode of Defenders of the Bank just four episodes away from 100 episodes and we are so happy you guys listened to us and you enjoyed it we look forward to seeing you back for episode number 97 philly any last words before we sign off for episode 96 you mentioned something about how we uh, we, you, we miss being at the bank how we miss everybody i will say this uh, just from my own experience i had my first normal day yesterday which was friday in, in a long time in fact probably my first normal day since having come back from my vacation my first normal day since february the 13th i went to work i had a full day because i had client meetings it's the first time i was in the office for a full day since february 13th and one lesson that i'll take uh, numerous lessons i'll take is and, and this goes out to all of you listeners out there as well. Never take anything for granted. Look, it sucks that it takes a tragedy or a pandemic to reinforce some of these things in our lives. But I have taken so many positive things from this quarantine for myself. I've reconnected with people that I haven't spoken to since high school. I've connected with family members that I haven't spoken to in a while. I've reconnected with my guitar and my passion for creativity. 
Clearly, my love of sports is unquestioned, but it only further reemphasizes how much I love that, too. I've learned what I really need out of life and what I can do without and what I can't live without. I hope each of you have taken something positive from this. Unfortunately, some of us had to endure some tragedy during this time, but that should still serve as a lesson in the sense that it's a brutal reminder that our time is finite and we need to live and pursue the dreams and the things that we have always wanted to today. The excuse of I'll do it tomorrow or I'm not ready should be permanently erased from your mindset. You don't know if tomorrow is your last day. Carpe diem defenders, start living right now. And I'm not talking about YOLOing your way into an early grave. I'm talking about chasing the things that you've been too afraid of to chase up until this moment right now. I try to find creative acronyms for COVID, and this is what I came out with. It stands, and this goes for all of us, chase our vivid inspirational dreams. If your mindset hasn't changed at all during this horrific situation and this horrific time in the world, I legitimately feel bad for you. Yes, there's a lot of negativity out there, but hopefully each and every single one of you have something that you've taken out of this positively, whether it be your love for LAFC, whether it be your love for fellow men, whether it be to like let go of a grudge that you've had in the past. All the BS leading up into the last seven, eight weeks doesn't matter anymore. Living and loving and learning is all that really matters. And I hope each and every one of you go out there, chase your dreams, chase your passions, live the life that you really want to, because again, we don't know what the heck is going to happen. This pandemic has shocked all of us, but it shouldn't be something that cripples us either. And that is some inspirational words from your friendly neighborhood, Spider Philly. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. And what a great way to end the episode. So with that, you guys know how we like to wrap things up here on Defenders of the Bank. We'll see you guys all hopefully in about a week for episode 97. And with that, all we have to say is bye, bye, bye. Cool. Dig it. All right. Do you have a soul patch going on, too? Is that what's happening? Well, yeah. Oh, my God. Where is... No. Yeah, all right. I'm going to get rid of it. Don't worry. <laughs> can, can Amanda hear me right now? Hey, Amanda! JR wants to say something to you. Hang on. All right. The door to fill a monster studio is open. Does he really have a soul patch right now? Uh, no, we... All right, after this episode, it's got to it's gotta go. Yeah. I said he looks like a groupie for Eve 6 right now. Like, he'd be part of their fan club. He looks like Chris Kirkpatrick from Instagram. He does. He does look. I was just going to say, I didn't want to say that. But, yeah, he does. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't know. It was like, it was years ago, more than a decade. So, so I'm, I'm walking. I'm right by Herald Square, like right, uh, right around there. Uh, there's a little, like, park right by the Manhattan Mall. And some girl comes up to me. She's like, you're Chris, right? And by then, I never went by Christian. I didn't go by Christian until I went to IU. <laughs> yeah, Chris. And so she's like, you're Chris, right? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. It's so nice to meet you. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I went to high school with her in Germany. Like, I didn't know. And then right. she asked me for my autograph. I looked at her. I'm like, why? It's like, because you're, you know, you're one of my favorite bands. I'm like, excuse me? She's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're Chris Kirkpatrick, right? I'm like. No, sweetie, I, I am not Chris Kirkpatrick. <laughs> no, that's At that point, I didn't even know who Chris Kirkpatrick was. I didn't know what he looked uh, like. I'm like, I'm the, I look like the ugly dude in the band. What the f***? You're like a combination between Papa Roach and Art Alexakis of Everclear right now. It's pretty great. Yeah.
Yeah, I told him I'm like you were like '90s. Oh yeah, like, especially with that striped jersey right now too. Like it's very, very '90s. I'm tracked. <laughs> it's it's a whole nother world in person. Let me tell you, JR. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great, but let I'll let him have his fun. She wouldn't even kiss me. <laughs> She's like, you you got to shave. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought it was just the shadow of like everything, but I realized that's that's. Yeah, no, I see it. Don't worry, it's it's there. Okay.